Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studio in Alpharetta, it's time for Profit Sense with Bill McDermott. Good morning. Welcome to Profit Sense. This podcast dives into the stories behind some of Atlanta's successful businesses and business owners and the professionals that advise them. We help local business leaders get the word out about the important work they're doing to serve their market, their community, and their profession. I'm your host, Bill McDermott, and this show is presented by McDermott Financial Solutions. When business owners want to increase their revenue, they often don't know where to start or what to do. Bill McDermott leverages his knowledge and relationships from 32 years in banking to identify the hurdles getting in the way and creates a plan to increase profitability and cash flow. We have three great guests on the show today. Dee Barnes with Evans Tool and Die. Dee, welcome to Profit Sense. Thank you. Glad to be here. David Sergile, CEO of Stone Resource. David, so glad you're here. Thank you very much for inviting me, Bill. And Tom Vitale with Northwestern. Tom, welcome to Profit Sense. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate you having us. So, Dee, let's start with you. Uh, okay. What is Tool and Die making? And why is it so important to the economy and the future of our country? Tool and die is an apprenticeship trade skill that creates a machine mold that can stamp out uh, metal products, metal parts at high volume and high speed for um, original equipment manufacturers who produce some finished product. For example, um, ATVs, four-wheelers, commercial refrigeration, furniture, just about anything that a metal piece can go on. Um, we produce a machine, if you will, that stamps out that shape, that particular shape. And each die is individually made to certain specifications to stamp out something. So tool and die is a, is a tool and die maker is an apprenticeship trade that um, it takes four years to be a tool maker. And wow. it provides, you know, I guess there's two things why I think it's really important. The tool and die trade provides hands-on jobs that are, you know, really well-paying jobs for people who um, may not be interested in a four-year college degree. It's a four-year apprenticeship, you can go to school in a tech school to learn machine tool technology that gives you a bit of a head start. But in reality, it takes four to five years to learn to be a toolmaker. And so that trade is you know, very valuable in our country for jobs, but also just for um, our economy itself and really for military defense, I think, because uh, tool and die trade is, is considered a critical skill for national defense. And the reason it is, is because of when there's a need to ramp up high volume to create something. The only way to do that is to build a die that can do it. So the die makers are, are super important. And um, with the history of, I guess, the last 20 years, a lot of tool making has gone overseas, which has created a very big shortage in the U.S. of tool makers. And you can't just go out and find one. You're not graduating from school. You have to create them through a sure. apprenticeship. So I think it's super important to continue that trade, which is why I love it so much, but also um, just to, um, fund the economy with with good, really good, solid jobs for people. So that's what I like about it. Sure, and I can understand that. And and of course, uh, you have uh, three generations of family manufacturing that are a testimony of uh, not only how important it is, but also um, how uh, how much you and your family love it. I want to uh, kind of set up the next question. Really, is uh, understanding that there, I'm sure there have been some challenges going through three generations. And so really as a third generation family manufacturing business, what have been some of those challenges transitioning through the generations? 
Of course, there, there certainly are. Uh, family business has its own unique challenges, a lot of good and a lot of uh, uh, struggles as well. And some of those are, you know, transferring from the first generation to the second generation, third generation. And we have done a lot of estate planning so that those transitions happen um, smoothly at, at the passing of the next generation and so on. So it's been really good that we've been able to do that. But because Evans has had just a family atmosphere just in our employees yeah. over 70 years, We've got um, people that have been with Evans 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. So when those regular employees, I call them the aren't blood family, go to transition, you also have a, a transitional thing because of the family atmosphere. You actually have people who are not blood family, but are family you know, for us. So it pr- creates its own challenges. And as I've come to the third generation, that second generation of family retirement from the business also brought with it second generation retirements on the floor itself of managers and, you know, plant runner runners, all kinds of things that we had to transition with. And while that's a really great thing, it's also brings extra challenges of making sure that we train up the next generation cross training. And it really applies to the tool and die trade because there are a lot of older skilled tool makers that need to transfer that skill to the younger tool makers. And with a lot of that, tool and die trade being overseas, it made it very difficult to train new when there wasn't a lot of work here. That's since changed in the last five years, but um, there are some really challenges. And so um, a lot of good things about it and a lot of work that goes along with it. Yeah. And hopefully we'll continue to see more of that work come back overseas so that it can be made in the USA. I know that uh, uh, the tool and die industry and, and market is incredibly competitive. I also know that people buy differences, not similarities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd love to hear your perspective on what makes Evans a different type of manufacturing company in the world of servicing OEMs. Certainly made in the USA is is, is a great thing for us and a, a great thing, I think, for our country. And to buy made in the USA, the quality is you know astoundingly different than overseas quality. And you'll see that in the tool and die trade as well. And many of our OEMs say, we get this tool made very cheaply overseas, but we get it back here and we have to use U.S. toolmakers to, to make them precise because they know they don't have the precision of the U.S. But the value is so, so cheap there that it continued to, to lose, you know, products, you know, to overseas. But I think what Evans brings to the table is a solid tool and die trade and a deep bench of toolmakers, as well as we have 67 punch presses. So we handle Uh, everything for the OEM, start to finish, raw materials, packaging, finishing products, specific packaging that goes back out the door and and it's local. So our OEMs can come to Evans and see us building the tool. They can come see everything there if there's a problem. So I think it it brings all together a one-stop shop and it shortens the supply chain effort, but it also very much reduces the supply chain risk for those OEMs who've been purchasing overseas. Um, if there's a problem, it gets done quickly because it's in-house. So I think that's a, a great value, um, not to mention the fact that it's it's uh, just a highly um, skilled industry and very high quality that comes from the U.S. And so that's what we we bring for, for that. And um, the second thing I think that Evans is different is just our culture of valuing personal relationships and commitment to our employees over the years. I think that truly translates into valuing the partnerships and relationships with our customers. Um, The customers receive not only great quality, but they receive an experience of personal relationship and commitment to the job. And and that's what um, I think many of our customers would even say still. We've had customers that we've been stamping for for 30 and 40 years uh, um, that are still receiving from Evans. So 
um, I think that's a, a great thing that we have to offer. Yeah, absolutely. Now you were talking about stamping, so I'd I'd like to understand what is high volume metal stamping, and mm-hmm. what types of products do you typically supply? So high volume stamping is different than machining a part, um, and it really has to do with using large quantities. You can produce millions or thousands, hundreds of thousands of the same part in high volume versus if I need 20 parts for something, I might machine those parts, which takes me a lot longer, but the upfront cost is a lot less. Um, but to produce high volume, you would spend you know, anywhere from 10, 15, 20,000, maybe even $100,000 on the tool that would run a die that would run forever and stamp your product out for as many years as you need to stamp it. So um, it's, that's really what metal stamping high volume is. And we, we stamp anywhere from very small pieces to very large presses that take a thousand tons versus a 20 ton press. So many different sizes of parts um, for the automotive industry for um, this example might be a piece of metal that goes behind the wood grain for a, a car such as BMW um, or floorboards for ATV and golf carts, parts for firearms, parts for the medical industry, just about anything, like I said, that you can see for the lighting industry. Your fluorescent lights that are in your ceiling have a often a metal housing in the back, something that we would stamp out of a very large press. Um, so I think that did that make sense to you? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction. So a lot of people might perceive that metal stamping or tool and die is is really kind of a man's world. So could you share what it's like being a very successful woman CEO leading in a man's world to manufacturing? It is definitely a man's world for the most part. Uh, most of my meetings are, are all men and I don't mind that at all. Is that actually, I truly enjoy it because I, I've, I've learned that men and women think and operate very differently and as God designed it to be. And when we work together, the strengths of each one really just come into great, great compliment. I love working with men. They think completely different than I do. And it's a great thing because they'll think some way and I'm like, how do they even think of that? It's just, it's just a different wiring. And, and I certainly believe that women bring uh, some different balance to that equation and it's been very successful. And so I actually enjoy it very much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as I have come to know you uh, recently, uh, your passion uh, really comes through as, as the leader of Evans Tool and Die. So what are you passionate about most uh, as you lead Evans? There are maybe a lot of things, but I would say maybe my top two are, I'm passionate about helping people feel appreciated and find purpose behind their work. Um, Whether it's, you know, the person that runs the same press every day, the person that sweeps the floor, the person that can do the greatest skill here at Evans. Um, There's such a value in everybody that works here and in every job. Um, I can't, we can't do our job if this, if there's a guy that sits and may make less money than everyone else, but he works daily every day stamping out the same product. It's all so valuable. We can't run without that. And so I, you know, I'm not, I don't know that I'm always as successful at accomplishing that, but that's what I want to do and want to be for people to feel appreciated and value what it is they do in life, um, whether it's here at Evans or, or anywhere. And I think the second thing might be um, I'm obviously passionate about seeing the tool and die trade continue into generations because I see its value, but it's just so amazing to watch people create something with their hands and know that there is no technical um, product that can replace that tool and die skill. For instance, you can have a CNC wire machine or a CNC machine create different pieces that go to that die. And you can also have a CAD 
computer system that prints out a blueprint to tell you how to do this tool. Well, a tool maker puts that together, but the real skill comes when you put it in that punch press and it doesn't come out exactly as that print tells you. There needs to be someone that can make that product be exactly what it needs to be. And that's the tool maker. And it cannot function without it. And I actually just recently went to a a um, event discussing some new CAD software. And I asked the guy, hey, you know, is this some great expensive software going to actually make this part come out exactly right? And he looked at me and he said, there's no software that can do that. So it made me really understand that that toolmaker has to know what to do or it's not going to be replaced by something else. And so I am passionate about seeing that continue. And and it's been a little difficult over the last 20 years because it definitely has gone overseas. So what it means to us is I have, you know, 60 and 70 year old toolmakers that, if somebody young doesn't get out and learn that, it will be gone and from this country. And and certainly when it's time to, to need those toolmakers, you won't just be able to create them very quickly. So so I'm passionate about seeing that happen and it, it's a lot of fun and on top of that. So Yeah, well, Dee, thank you so much for coming on Profit Sense today. You know, your passion, uh, the length of time that Evans Tool and Die has uh, uh, has been in existence, your passion comes through. Uh, you've done a great job leading the firm. Uh, you're right. It is an ex- essential uh, piece of our industry. So thanks for coming on and sharing your insights today. Our our listening audience really appreciates it, and I appreciate having you. Thank you so much, Bill. I've enjoyed it. And so now I'm going to turn to uh, David Sergile. Uh, David is CEO with Stone Resource. Uh, David, so glad you could come on the show today. And uh, uh, so just recently, I think, uh, while you've had a long, successful career in staffing, uh, you have eclipsed the 10-year anniversary for Sone. So congratulations for that. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, I really just want to ask, what have been some of the keys to your success, not only in Stone, but just also in the staffing career that you've had uh, uh, in front of you for so many years? Yeah, that's a good question. I think ultimately, um, I'm a big fan of Stephen Covey, and I, uh, his book, Seven Habits, is something that I've tried to continue to implement in not only my personal life, but my business life. And so when I look at my business, um, I think it's habit number two, which is begin with the end in mind. When we started Stone, we began with the end in mind, I think, which is a huge differentiator because most people that start a small business, they don't start it saying, we want to be a $100 million staffing business. But we, that's what we did. We created a BHAG, Big Hairy Audacious Goal, which is Jim Collins from Good to Great. Um, and we all sat down and said, what do we want to be when we grew up? Very early at the inception of when we started Stone. Um, so we set the BHAG to become a $100 million uh, staffing company in revenue in uh, over five markets and um, by, by 2022, February 2022. And it was February in 2012 when we set this. So it's that was our 10-year our BHAG at the time. We have about two more years left. And uh, admittedly, we're about halfway there. Um, COVID has put a, uh, a little bit of a damper in our growth, as, as I believe uh, most companies. Um, yep. but we're, we're still focused on the end goal, and uh, we're continuing to drive that. So I would say the biggest reason would be uh, – starting with knowing what we want to be and then driving every day towards that. Yeah. And I, I'm a big fan like you of Covey and Jim Collins, both excellent reads and, and both uh, uh, just, just great uh, things to incorporate in business. I also know that your mission and culture have created some significant growth. Could you 
talk a little bit about your core values and how uh, you feel they've contributed to your success? Yeah, absolutely. I think our core values are essentially what makes us different. Um, we are in staffing for IT and finance and accounting. And a lot of times we, we are viewed as a commodified industry, which we can be um, because we're all looking for the same resources. So it's very hard to differentiate. And the, the way the way we really can can do that is by our hiring process and finding people that are like-minded and that want to win and want to do it with integrity and drive. Um, so our core values are, are work ethic, and that's that's at the top. Um, we talk about that day in and day out. Accountability to each other, to our clients, and um, and to our team members. Uh, customer service, which we're trying to drive every single day to ensure our customers are happy. And then strong character. And like Warren Buffett said, without that, none of the others actually even matter. Um, so we're, we're, we're trying to incorporate our core values every day into what we have as a team and by hiring those kinds of people with those. And we talk about it in the interview process. We talk about what a difficult industry it is. We talk about our turnover and how high it is, not only for our company, but the industry. So we're not trying to set any kind of false expectations, but we have very high expectations at the same time. And by finding those people that truly want to win and are willing to do what it takes in order to win, I think we've been a lot more successful than a lot of our competitors. Well, and your success has certainly played out. I know that success has also led to uh, uh, expanding into other geographic markets. Uh, can you tell us what led you to decide to expand? Well, our very first experience, and uh, we were uh, we weren't given much of a choice. Our top salesperson wanted to move to Denver, and. Uh, she was uh, moving out there with her fiance and uh, asked if she could continue to try to sell out there. And um, so we, we launched a Denver market to build it around uh, someone who had been proven, who had proven time and time again to be successful and that embodied the characteristics that I talked about from a core value standpoint. And uh, it's now our second largest market and she's done a fabulous job. And uh, she has continued to drive that, continue to hire based on what we discussed and uh, find team members that were, that were like-minded. Um, so that was, that was our second market. Our third market was uh, more of a um, following our clients. And I can tell you, we probably would not do a lot of the, Hey, you want to move somewhere? We'll up, open up a business around you. Um, okay. Unless it was the right person, but we're really trying to just support our clients day to day. And we've ended up in St. Louis. We've ended up in uh, Dallas and, uh, other markets because of what our clients' needs are, recognizing what those needs are, and then also capitalizing on the opportunities that our clients are bringing to us by, by having a ge- geographical footprint in that market. Um, we've done spec markets, which is, hey, we understand there's a lot of business out there. We feel if we drive our business model in that market, not really having any clients, um, that's not a great model for us. I know I know some of our competitors have done that with success. That's not a great model for us. We, we really want to have one or two anchor clients in the market that can generate revenue and then use those revenues to reinvest in that marketplace. Sure. Now, I know that uh, also the staffing industry, as you alluded to earlier, is pretty competitive. Uh, I also know people buy differences, not really similarities. So what do you believe differentiates Stone from its competitors? Yeah, you know, I, I love that question. And usually when a client asks me, I, I always tell them, you know, I could tell you all the differentiators until I'm blue in the face. None of it's going to matter until you give me an opportunity to work for you and show you what I can do. Um, but I would tell you is it, it's going to come down to our people. I compare a lot of times when I'm talking to our clients, um, 
what we do to what real estate agents do. And at the end of the day, our account managers, similar to a real estate agent, you could have a real estate agent that's going to be hungry, driven, or you could have one that's kind of resting on the laurels and just sending you pictures of, of what's available. Um, so I think it comes back to the way we hire, as well as having, we started, when we started this company and we were less than $5 million, we put a $100 million back office infrastructure and, and process in place. So we're able to scale on our processes that we have and that we've had since day one. Um, because of my background in staffing, I brought with me from billion dollar staffing companies, as well as my partner who comes from uh, Robert Half, ran, ran the East Coast for them. We have processes that a lot of the smaller staffing companies just never had in place. But because we were thinking like a $100 million business, we were driving those processes day in, day out. But at the end of the day, it's really going to come down to the individual. And we believe we do a better job of hiring better individuals that are going to be working to try to provide the best customer service and and just going to work harder. We work harder than most of our competition. Yeah. And uh, people and processes, David, you've hit on the two main points that I'm certainly seeing in, in other industries uh, finding the best people to do the work and then having the processes in place so that you have repeatable repeatable practices. Yeah, and I think on top of that, with the people then building the culture, I, I view myself as a culture warrior. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, we do have a lot of turnover. I'm not I'm not apologetic about that whatsoever. It's a tough environment and um, it's not for everybody. And we hire a lot of people out of college and they're trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up, which is fine. Um, but they learn very quickly whether they want to be in the staffing industry or in a performance-based role. And some of them leave, leave, leave us to go do more of administrative work, more operations. And then some of them just decide that, uh, you know, they want to be in it, just not a, in a, as a high-intensity role that, that we, we have. We're, we're very driven. Um, and again, I don't apologize for that. Yeah, yeah. No, I wouldn't either. So I want to just kind of uh, maybe ask the question, <clears throat> we're in the middle of a pandemic, of course. What's the outlook for the staffing industry? And a little bit, how has the pandemic impacted staffing? Yeah, you know, this is, uh, and I, I talked to some of the, the younger people on my staff about this. You know, in the last 20 years, we've had three recessions. Um, and what I've seen from the last two is we always come out of them and we come out of them if we survive better, but all we can do is control the controllable. And so we focus on that. We can control our activity from day to day. We can control um, the way we continue to treat our clients and we, we come to work and perform. And um, there's things that we can't control. So we can't focus on the things that we can't control, but we're still going to come into the office. We're going to work twice as hard for half as much, but we need to understand that we're in the middle of it. And there's a lot of worst cases uh, that our competitors are going through. Friends, family, loved ones, they've lost jobs. It's a terrible economy, um, but we still have jobs. So we need to show up and we need to perform at the level that we've continued to talk about since we started this company 10 years ago. So my big takeaways from our time together are have a BHAG, start with the end in mind, uh, have core values that you don't apologize for, and people in processes, David. And uh, uh, from where I sit, you and I have known each other for for a while now. Uh, I think you're going to hit that $100 million mark because the other thing that you said that really resonated with me is you and your firm are driven. So thank you for coming on ProfitSense today. And uh, uh, I hope I'm around when you hit that $100 million mark. Sure. For sure. <laughs> thank you so much, Bill. I appreciate it. So I'm going to 
now I'll swing to Tom Vitale. Uh, Tom and I have known each other, gosh, Tom, maybe uh, uh, 15 years or so. And so thanks for coming on Profit Sense today. Thank you. So I want to start out, uh, one of the things when I first got to know you, and it still resonates today, is you love what you do. You're passionate about it, and that energy uh, is contagious. So I really want to start, what do you enjoy so much about your profession? I think the thing that I enjoy most is building the relationships with the clients, Um, problem-solving, And I think the bigger issue is really coaching. You know, everybody wants to have abs and everybody wants to be rich, but no one wants to do the work. And the coaching is really important is to help clients kind of go through the process and hear how their goals can actually be put into a financial plan. And I think um, it gives enormous power when clients say, hey, I think I've got financial security. I think I'm going to be okay. And um, especially for them, their spouses, and having somebody as a backup, I think is really critically important. So on that theme of coaching, possibly that's the answer to this next question, but what do you feel clients value most about working with you and working with your team? Well, my team consists of four staff people. Um, I think the the biggest issue when dealing with money and insurance and and very complex strategies is trust. I mean, clients have to have trust. They and and I think sincerity. And then I think the biggest issue uh, for a lot of our clients is trying to understand some complex strategies and trying to do it in simple terms. Um, we all tend to use, in you know, it's investment speak or insurance speak. But what we have to do is we have to boil it down. If I'm sitting with a client who happens to be in the grading business, I've got to get to that level and explain to him why saving money and putting money away over time will benefit he and his family and his company as well. So I know there is a certain type of client. You and I certainly have done a lot of business together with business owners. We've we've shared clients in the past and still do currently. Talk a little bit about your your ideal client. Well, the three things that we talk about in in our opening meeting with a client is we we need to make sure that clients are open-minded. They can't be, you know, have all the answers. They have to be open-minded. They've got to value relationships because we build those relationships over time. And I think the most important is coachability. If someone shows up and they've got ideas and they want to, they want you to carry out those ideas and they're not coachable. In our world, it's very difficult to help them build a great financial plan without the ability to be coached. Um, I think the biggest issue that we face today is that people just aren't saving money. And my parents And my parents' parents were very mindful of that. And the new generation, not so much, you know, money's cheap. I hear, Hey, let's buy a bigger house. Let's buy a bigger car. You know, and we see a lot of credit card millionaires. Yeah. And uh, I do think the world is really made up of savers and spenders. And so uh, 
you know, what sorts of unique challenges are out there now uh, that you've never experienced before? Well, obviously COVID, none of us have been in the, in this pandemic. And uh, it has forced us to adapt our business to do Zoom meetings. And my business was very much face-to-face for the last 29 years. And uh, it's been challenging. It's, it's challenging to build trust over the computer. I feel like um, that part is, is difficult. But what's, what the outcome has been, which has been fascinating, is we're getting a lot of things done. The, the downside is like it tends to feel sterile. Like we have an agenda item. We deal with the agenda item. Everybody good? Yeah, let's go on. Boom, done. You don't get an opportunity to really know the client, to understand, hey, how's their day going? How's their week? What are some of the challenges? You know, there's not a lot of small talk and you really don't get to really bond. So obviously this has been challenging, but the process is um, is something that we're just, we struggle with a little bit, but um, we're having great success, but I, I sure do miss my people. Yeah. And I, and I'm there with you because I think a lot of us that are accustomed to dealing face to face with our, uh, with our clients are, are having to adapt. Uh, have you found kind of as in this COVID market, have there been some things that have worked for you in terms of, of building relationships via zoom, any best practices maybe you could share with our listening audience? Yeah, I think, I think the most important thing is um, asking your clients, hey, who has lost a job? Who could benefit from the type of work that we're doing? Clients know, and someone asked a great question the other day, if COVID ends tomorrow, who would be the three people you'd go celebrate with? Mm. And I thought that was an excellent question. That is an excellent Because, you know, it shows the relationship that you had. I I cannot imagine when COVID ends how big the parties are going to be. Yep, I, I think uh, all of us ought to uh, ought to celebrate and uh, and certainly have one for sure. Right. So, in COVID, in an environment of saving and spending, is there one piece of advice uh, that you can give for someone in today's economy? Yeah, I think I think the best one is um, don't allow the head headlines to dictate your actions. Build a plan, build a plan, spend time building a plan, stick to the plan, find a good trusted advisor, somebody that you can use as a sounding board and um, and just follow the plan. Our plans are outcome based. Oftentimes clients say, well, my friend's getting a better return than I am. And my conversation is, is, is with them as often, what are you trying to accomplish? And when it always comes back to, the plan. And I think if we spend time on the plan, we develop the plan, we would never build a house without a plan. We're not going to build your financial future without one. And from my perspective, after 29 years, the plan dictates many of the things and we just continue to go back to the plan. And clients say, well, you know, I feel like I've got direction. I've got purpose. And um, especially spouses have said to me, it's comfort to know that, hey, if if something should happen, we're taken care of. And that's been very powerful. 
So I think takeaways that you've talked about first, uh, working with clients that are, that are coachable, uh, having a plan and executing on that plan. Uh, certainly all of us are facing challenges in dealing with, uh, with COVID and still building relationships. So uh, trying to appeal as much as possible to uh, the people side of things, uh, engage them emotionally were, were some of the big takeaways that I think uh, uh, we talked about during our, our time together here, Tom. Yes. Thank you, Bill. I think that's uh, right on the, right on the mark. Well, listen, uh, thanks so much for coming on Profit Sense. Uh, Dee, I want to thank you again for, uh, for being on. Uh, and David, uh, thank you. So let me just go around uh, the horn one more time. Tom, if someone wants to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? I would say the best way is to reach out. You've got an email, tom.vitale at nmnancymary.com. Or call me on my cell phone, 770-815-8778. I'd be more than happy to take your call. Great. And David, same uh, question to you. If someone in our listening audience wants to connect with uh, either you or Stone Resource, what's the best way for them to do that? Shoot me a text, 404-290-6486. Great. I'm likely going to find them because that's what I do. Uh, great. Thank you. Uh, Dee, how about if someone wants to get in touch with you or with Evans Tool and Die, what's the best way for them to do that? The best way would be to go to the website, which is evanstd, as in toolanddie.com, or you can just dial straight here, 770-922-3480. Great. Well, thanks to each of you for being on the show. If you want to keep up with the latest in pro-business news, follow us on social media for the latest stories. If you want to listen to future ProfitSense podcasts, you can find us on ProfitSenseRadio.com. This is ProfitSense with Bill McDermott signing off. Make it a great day.